From the National Pharmaceutical Congress, this is the NPC Podcast for May 19, 2021. The NPC Podcast is about discussing and considering the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry during the time of COVID. Today, let's continue our healthcare conversation by answering questions from listeners just like you. This program is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Imprez is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Imprez tailored best-in-class solutions at www.imprez.com. On today's NPC podcast our guest is Gordon McCauley, the President and CEO of Admari Bio Innovations in Vancouver. Your host today is Peter Brenders. But first, from our state-of-the-art podcasting facility in Toronto, here is Mitch Shannon, the CEO of Chronicle Companies. Leona, thanks for that state-of-the-art introduction. So what does it mean to be an innovator? Innovation is one of those words that's easy to use and often impossible to deliver on. Innovation takes talent, vision, commitment, and never forget somebody's cash. Gordon McCauley of Admary Bio Innovations creates new companies. Admary has brought more than $1 billion of investment to 20 life sciences companies, which means they get to keep using the word innovation. Here's Gordon in conversation with Peter. Welcome to the NPC Podcast. I'm Peter Brenders, your host. In our continuing look at the purpose, process, and people in pharma in Canada, this episode takes a look at building a Canadian life sciences industry. Joining us today from Vancouver is industry expert and Canadian champion, Gordon McCauley, President and CEO of Admari Bio Innovations. Welcome to the NPC Podcast, Gordon. Thanks, Peter. Delighted to be here. Okay, let's start with the question our listeners just had when hearing that intro. Admari what? Admari Bio Innovations is Canada's national life sciences venture. Uh, And we exist for a really simple reason. And that is that Canada has extraordinary research infrastructure. We punch well above our weight in the kind of scientific research we do in the life sciences on any metric. And there are lots of them, but on any metric, we punch well above our relative rate. What we've done a lousy job of is translating that into a sustained life sciences industry. And that's why Edmari exists. We are here to realize our vision of Canadian life sciences leading the world. So we do that really three ways, and they're all interconnected. First, we try and identify really compelling research in Canada, pull it together and build companies of scale out of that. And the team has a great track record in doing so. Secondly, we try and help existing companies scale up. And then thirdly, we try and train the next generation of both scientific and business leaders in life sciences. Okay. So that's a cool, cool goal and mission. I hear that. So translate research into companies of scale, help those companies scale up, train the leaders. All right. Well, let's talk about each of these um, a little bit more so I, so I can understand that a little more clearly. So first, let's talk about that translate research into companies of scale. So what does this helping researchers translate their research involve? I mean, do you just help them create a company or do they give up their academic life and now become an entrepreneur? This is about creating the most compelling companies we can. So the first thing to understand is that we are a very commercially minded organization. We're thinking about how to build a company of scale. And absolutely, the founding scientists, the people that discovered the technologies are critically important to that. 
but we've also got to think about what is ultimately fundable, what investors will put money into, and what can actually make uh, make it to the commercial marketplace at the end of the day. How do we actually sell products? So we're, we have a team of experts here in Vancouver and in Montreal who have really compelling track records of identifying early science and building it into a company, adding all the pieces that are necessary and taking it all the way to the marketplace. There aren't many organizations in Canada where every person on the leadership team has been involved in taking something from the proverbial bench to the bedside. What do you sort of, what are your definition or your metrics for upscale? Is this a jobs metric? Is it a financing target, lab space? I believe deeply that for us to succeed as a country in life sciences, we need to approach every company with the attitude that we want it to grow and exist and be a fully integrated company in Canada. Now, look, I'm not naive. Obviously, that's not going to happen every time. But it's really important as a business philosophy that you start with that perspective in mind. It's much like everybody says in developing a drug, you start with the label in mind and understand what is actually going to be approved at the end of the day and work back from that. It's the same thing in a, with, with a company. Think about the commercial company and then work your way back. So when I talk about a company of scale, it's not enough to have one molecule or one shot on goal. You need to have either a platform that generates various technologies uh, repeatedly over time, or you have to have a collection of molecules that make sense thematically as an investment hypothesis so that you can attract the capital you need and truly build a sustainable company. That's what our objective is. So take me to your second objective then is helping those companies that are already out there scale up. You know, How do you help companies scale up and what's your target level of scale up? So let's start with the dirty little secret of companies in Canada. Canada leads the world on a relative basis in creating companies. We lead the world on a relative basis in starting university-based companies. So the old chestnut about Canadians not being entrepreneurial enough is just not true. However, if we're leading the world in creating companies and we don't have a sustainable industry on the other hand, it tells you there's a problem in there. So it tells you maybe we're creating the wrong kinds of companies. Maybe we're creating companies too early, but certainly we have to think about, okay, we've got an interesting company that someone's created. How do we scale it? How do we help them grow? So we do that a whole bunch of ways. We provide capital. We're probably the largest seed investor in life sciences in Canada. Uh, Secondly, we provide space. So our facility in Montreal has 150,000 square feet of lab space, commercially focused and appropriate lab space that is home to 40 some odd biotech companies from anchor companies in the making like Repair Therapeutics uh, to a small three and four person companies. Uh, Our facility here in Vancouver has 40,000 square feet of purpose-built laboratories, some home to our own proprietary labs, but also to about 10 uh, emerging companies. And then the third thing we, we do is provide expertise. And we typically do that through programmatic efforts, like in Montreal, an accelerator that is a combination of, of expertise, business expertise, science expertise, drug development expertise, to help those companies realize what they need to do. You're listening to Gordon McCulley, President and CEO of Admari Bio Innovations. Okay, so you're going to help these companies scale up. 
but let's not kid ourselves. I mean, won't they simply be bought by those cash rich global companies looking for new assets? I mean, it seems to have happened in every other industry. Why do we think it won't happen in life sciences? Nobody said it won't happen. In fact, there are a lot of cash rich Canadian companies today as well. I think the objective is to build companies and allow them to scale and help them put down roots in Canada. Over time, as I, as I said earlier, I'm not naive. Obviously, some of those companies are going to be bought out. There's two things I think we want to think about from a public policy perspective. The first is, do we create enough of a foundation of that company in Canada that the expertise exists so that the company stays here? The reason that Amgen exists in Canada and has a research enterprise in Canada is that there was a large cadre of truly qualified, globally relevant researchers here that refused to move. The companies that Amgen acquired actually ultimately stayed in Canada. The second thing we need to do is think about how do you help those companies put down business roots here in a way that makes it hard for them to move. The technical term is how do you make them sticky? Maybe that's around biomanufacturing that we've heard a lot of talk about. Maybe that's around specialized expertise or specialized infrastructure, such as a company called Abdera that we recently created in the radio pharmaceutical space that takes advantage of Canadian leadership in radio farm and Canadian infrastructure in radio farm that makes it increasingly less likely that a company would leave here. We're not naive. Obviously, some of those companies are going to, are going to go other places, but you want to see two kinds of outcomes. You want to see sustainable companies in Canada that stay in Canada. And you want to see companies that even if the ownership ends up somewhere else, the mind and matter and drive of the company stays in Canada because there are elements in Canada that, that keep it here. That's a good setup to your third pillar now that I'm thinking that through because we're talking about people really at the end of the day, that stickiness is there and training your leaders, I'm sure then must be part of the Admari plan. So tell us about your efforts on this one. Absolutely. The three pillars are absolutely interrelated. And the Admari Academy, through which we do all of our talent development efforts, has been a tremendous success. I'm really proud of the team and the work that they've done. We have a handful of programs that are really two flagships. The first is the Executive Institute, which we created with significant financial support from Pfizer Canada, I must say, which is focused on identifying future uh, executives in this industry. So if you think about all these companies we're creating or trying to scale up, we need to make sure there are people that are going to lead them. And one of the challenges, if, if you don't have that industry today, is you have a reasonably limited universe of prospective C-suite people. So this is a program that we created three years ago now that is a focus. It's like a 10-month working MBA for mid-career people. They have to have 10 years of experience. And it meets uh, five times over the course of that 10 months for three days each. There is a ton of work in between sessions. It's a pretty intense uh, process. We, uh, we do it in, in partnership with the Center for Creative Leadership in North Carolina, which is consistently ranked number one or two in the world for leadership training. And so we've, we've just graduated our third cohort. We're about to, uh, to launch a recruitment for the fourth cohort, and it's been a, a tremendous success. One of the other things that I'm really proud about with that program is that when we started out, we said that it would be 50% men and 50% women, and it would broadly reflect the diversity of Canada. And if I'm being honest, Peter, every time I said that before we actually recruited the first cohort, I thought to myself, oh, man, I hope we can actually pull that off. And I think the reason it was easy is that we said so. 
We said we were going to do that. And we made it okay for all sorts of people who, who might not otherwise have felt comfortable applying. And absolutely among the best graduates are, are, are the women or the diversity candidates. It's, it's really exciting. How many, how many cohorts have you run through your program there, Gordon? We've had three cohorts and there's a maximum of 20 a year. Thinking right now we might expand it a little bit, but it's really important that it's full of high quality candidates because that, that network and how they work together is critically important. Are you tracking where they go after they come out? So, I mean, it's only been a couple of years since uh, those first graduates have come out. I mean, the, what's the metric you're looking back at? Companies, leading companies, the C-suite roles? Our metric right now, quite candidly, is the number of graduates. We are tracking over time and we're really excited to see we've had a number of candidates promoted in, into the C-suite since they graduated from our program. We've had a number of candidates who are quite prominent today. Uh, it's a tremendously successful program. And one of the reasons I know that, obviously the participants tell us so, we see what happens to them afterwards, but I also see the applications. I'm, I'm not involved in the selection process, but we see uh, consistently the number of applications has grown every single year. Before I forget, let me also talk about the other flagship program that's really important because it deals with the other challenge I think we have from a talent perspective in Canada. And that's what we call the Bioinnovation Scientist Program. This is focused on young graduates in sciences, typically either postdocs or certainly uh, master's grads who want to go to work in, uh, in industry. But if one just finished their doctorate, and, and wanted to go to work in industry, and you entered into your favorite search engine, industrial training for life sciences in Canada, postdocs, you get 211 million hits. So the average postdoc has no idea about which of those programs are scientifically valid, and once they figure that out, in what order do they take? So one of the things we did very early in the pandemic, we got lucky, frankly, we had been planning to do this for a while, and we just accelerated because of the pandemic was to uh, first take a group of scientific experts and get them to rank uh, a collection of those uh, available programs. And then a collection of pedagogical experts and say, okay, from a learning perspective, how do you organize these? And we put them into three, they're basically one year that a, a, a postdoc or, or a master's grad can get qualified training for industry. There's a report that was just done by the Center for Canadian Academies called Degrees of Success. And it looks at, at postdocs uh, in Canada. 25%, just 25% of postdocs in Canada work in industry. And here we have an industry that's desperate for those kinds of people. If you look at the announcements, the, the funding announcements over the course of the last six or eight months, there's over a thousand jobs there, typically for those postdocs. So this program is designed to take highly qualified people from the academy who want to work in industry and give them the commercial perspective necessary for an industry application. And it has been outrageously successful in the, in the uptick. Uh, we did a pilot at the start of the pandemic that sold out in three days, and we, uh, we hope to wrap that very aggressively. You're listening to the NPC Podcast. I'm Peter Brenders, your host. Okay, so well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about the pandemic then. Let's build on that thought. So has that created new demand on Admari expertise? I mean, is it just everyone's hunkering down and they need sort of more support? Or has it been quite the opposite? It's just become too difficult for companies. Like, give us an insight in terms of the pandemic effect. Uh, I think we've seen a couple of impacts that, some that are quite helpful, some that are quite concerning. 
The helpful ones, obviously, investors are paying a lot more attention to this space. Uh, the amount of venture capital that's come into Canada or into the United States uh, in this space has been record setting at, at levels we've never seen before. The part that I worry a little bit about is that it's a little bit of a tale of two, uh, a tale of two worlds, right? You know, the, the highly successful ones attracting lots of capital and the smaller ones who aren't necessarily in trouble today because they've had capital invested in them, but the pandemic has slowed down clinical trials for sure, except in the most extreme or most desperate kind of situations. And it's made it harder to advance through the pipeline of drug development. I'm concerned that there are smaller, uh, more emerging companies that are going to have capital troubles in the not too distant future. And we're certainly here to respond to that. So that's interesting. I mean, we saw the federal government for the first time in, well, I can remember, throw like $2.2 billion into life sciences. I mean, for the government to even use the word life sciences or phrase life sciences in a budget has been kind of groundbreaking. And and so I'm thinking about that in the context that life sciences has generally been neglected for years, for decades in Canada, in fact. So do you get a sense that this new environment for innovations in health is going to be sustainable, that this momentum that we're seeing coming out of the pandemic is, is, is going to last, or will Canada revert back to old ways? My sense is that we have absolutely changed. We have seen outrageously large investments, as I mentioned, record setting, not just at the federal level, although predominantly at the federal level. Uh, we've seen the provinces uh, engage fairly substantively as well. Uh, and when you look at where that multi-billion dollar investment is focused, it is in areas that are going to make a substantive difference. So in the Strategic Innovation Fund, which has been used to invest in stem cell, invest in Abcellera, invest in uh, Sanofi and in other places to create <laughs> the, the kind of sticky uh, features that I was describing earlier in Canada. You look at the uh, substantive investment in Genome Canada, which has had a terrific track record, but it wasn't just Genome Canada. It was an increment above the $350 million, I think, was invested in Genome Canada. There was a significant increment above that to really knit together the genome enterprise to really make it globally leading enterprise. And, and, and we were uh, very flattered to be included there with fairly substantive funding over the course of four years to continue the work that we do and to address some of the issues that we've been talking about today. So some of that, some of that funding for those companies that might, might be missed and, and also that talent development work, which is incredibly important. So the solution, though, can't be all on government in terms of just putting more money out. Where do you see, or how does the industry itself need to lead to sustain this momentum? In many of the ways that the federal government has invested here through this budget, they are expecting a significant industry multiplier. So if you understand the Strategic Innovation Fund, for example, it's absolutely a partnership fund that's more than just matching. There's a requirement that private sector investments uh, more than match the government. Uh, if you look at the work that we've done, so the federal government has to date invested about $100 million in Admari before this budget, and we have generated almost $1.5 billion worth of private sector capital investment into the kinds of companies that we've helped create or fund. We've seen significant growth. I mean, the companies in which we have invested are worth about $2.5 billion. Again, I, I want to give them credit. They're making significant investments, certainly in the basic research in areas where there, there wouldn't be commercial participation, but they've also put money on the table and said, but only if there's really going to be 
private sector engagement there. Which brings me to the answer to your question. In a very fundamental way, I think our challenge is aspirational. And I think we've seen a shift in the mentality of the biotechnology industry for sure over the course of the last three or four years. And, and you know this space better than just about anybody. And instead of having people saying, I'm gonna create a company and I'm gonna to get to human proof of concept or, or maybe in rare circumstances, I'm gonna to get to the marketplace and sell. You see a whole collection of companies today, the repairs I mentioned earlier, or Zymeworks or Absalva, or there's a whole, whole bunch of them in Canada today. It's really exciting who are intent in building anchor companies, who are intent in building companies of scale, who've said, we want to actually build something here. And that is, in my view, that's the key. It's that aspirational difference. And, and so people have to be prepared to, uh, to step up and we've seen it in a remarkable way. So I actually think it's, it's a very exciting time. So it's fun. So I'm, I'm listening to that and, and I'm wondering if I'm, may have heard us hitting the tipping point. This is the point where it's changed, where maybe the future in life sciences for decades we've struggled with is maybe at the best that it's ever been, that this is the time where we've seen a change. And the exciting thing is you heard it here first on the NPC podcast. Does that, that sound about right there, Gordon? You know what? I think it's absolutely true. Sadly, we're both old enough to think back 20 years when we had a couple of anchor companies, three or four anchor companies in this uh, country. And you know, one of the things I haven't said in this, in this discussion, Peter, is one of the most frustrating elements of Canada that makes the work that we do so necessary is that we are the only advanced pharma market in the world without a research-based anchor company. And, and we are witnessing now that change and it's not going to change with one anchor company. Over the next few years, we're going to see several anchor companies. And, and as you said earlier, of course, in some cases, the, the ownership will change because the market will out and the market should out. It, this is a commercial enterprise at the end of the day. But we have just passed a tipping point without question, in my view. And I think it's a very, very exciting industry. We have been speaking with Gordon McCauley, President and CEO of Admari Bio Innovations on the NPC podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Peter and Gordon. Next time, we'll ask them to perform their hit recording, World Without Love. Until then, you can learn more about Admari at admaribio.com. That's A-D-M-A-R-E-B-I-O dot com. Any comments or suggestions about today's discussion, send them to us by direct message on Twitter at 2021NPC or fire off an email to health at chronicle.org. If you're seeking added notoriety, attach a voice clip to your message and you might hear yourself during an upcoming episode. You can also leave a message on our comment line, which is always open at 647-873-6995. If you're looking for past episodes of the NPC podcast, find them on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next generation commercial partner. Visit them at www.imprez.com. I'm Mitch Shannon of Chronicle Companies. The producer is Jeremy Visser. Aria M. Picaras is the assistant producer. The announcer was Leona Domino. The musical theme is performed by the NPC Podcast Orchestra under the direction of maestro Zubin Milbrook. Stay safe until next week when we'll talk to you again on the next NPC Podcast.